Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. Hi, everyone. Oh, boy. We've got a great show for you today. Firstly, happy one-day belated Valentine's Day. Happy hangover day and UTI day and headache from crying day. We are calling this our Valentine's Day episode. So today we're going to talk to Aaron Steinberg from Baby Proofing Your Relationship to learn how to, you guessed it, baby proof your relationship, even if your kids aren't babies anymore. Are you going to put those oven knobs on my boobies? Is that how you're going to baby proof my relationship? Yep. Okay, great. And then we are talking about confidence and overconfidence in children. Is it good? Is it bad? I mean, we all know my confidence level, so let's see what the experts have to say about that. And as always, we have our hashtag swag bag, but up next, take it away, small child. Kicking shit. Man, I am gearing up for a very busy week, and I kind of have anxiety about it. Aside from the normal bullshit that we have to do all week long, you and I are taking our kids to their first Broadway show on Thursday. They're going to go see Aladdin. One jump ahead of the red line. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We're going to go have a nice dinner beforehand, and then before that, I'm taking Sebastian to see Matt's office. And then the following day, I have a screening, and the day before all of that, Sebastian has dance class. We're just used to being locked in in COVID. This is just what normal life used to be like. I remember at the beginning of my career being out every single night till like 10 o'clock. I don't know how I did it. I remember being so busy that I didn't have time to do laundry, so I just buy new underwear. It's overwhelming and it's kind of scary to me in all honesty. Yeah. I don't think I have any shits. Well, that's nice. I've been doing a lot of looking at my birth chart. I have a stellium in my 12th house of Virgo. What the fuck does that mean, Ashley? I know. Thanks, TikTok. It means I have three planets in Virgo placement in the 12th house. And I'm still trying to wrap my brain around what the fuck that means. But essentially, I am like a full-blown fucking Virgo. And one of those traits about being a Virgo is really being a homebody and not wanting to go out. There are days I don't leave my house, not to walk the dog, not to take Sebastian to school. And I don't have any problem with that. And it's not the healthiest thing. I mean, I can force myself, but I don't often and I don't want to. I can understand how people People become agoraphobic. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I'm not really sure if these things I'm going to say are a tit or a shit. So I'm just going to combine them all together. Throw them out there. One, my CPAP machine came. I'm so excited. I've been on deep CPAP web, guys. Everyone says that even if you only sleep two hours with a CPAP machine, it's the best sleep you've ever had because you haven't slept well in so long. I can't remember the last time that I slept well. And I got fitted for this thing today. I've been waiting so long for it. I am so excited to get optimal sleep. I just want to be Carrie 2.0. Make me a robot. Give me a blue pill. Whatever. I just want to be doing better. I want to be sliving. Isn't that what Paris says? Sliving, yes. New mother, Paris Hilton. Shout out to Paris. The other thing is, and I'm always hesitant to talk about this stuff, but I'm going to start tapering off my anti-anxiety and anti- my meds because- Oh, your SSRIs? Yeah, I don't really know if they're working anymore. Apparently, you're supposed to after some time. 
I have been having some medical stuff going on the last two years between menopause and weight gain and high blood pressure. How long have you been on them? A while now. Well, this specific kind since I had Luna, so four years, but I was on something before her. Okay. And I just feel like I don't know what stasis is anymore. I just have medicines on medicines on medicines on medicines. And so I had a discussion with my healthcare provider and my therapist and everybody involved. This isn't like I'm just doing it on my own. Don't ever do that, guys. That's a terrible idea. To try to slowly come off and see what conditions stay and what conditions go away. God, that's so scary to me. I don't mean like, oh, I'm so scared of you going off and what that's going to do to me. I don't mean like that. I mean, thinking of myself in that position and just thinking about times that I've gone on or off medication, birth control specifically, and it's made me an absolute fucking crazy person. So hearing that alone just gives me so much anxiety. Like, oh my God, is it worth doing this for herself? Is she putting herself through something that she doesn't need to? I feel like some things are counteracting other things. I don't know what the base level is right now. There's been too much tinkering and I've been off meds before and it's been fine. Okay, that's good. I'm in a good space. So I'm going to attempt to do that and just re-put things together and figure out what's needed and what's not needed and maybe try some other alternative ways. We'll be hinting at a Patreon situation. I don't want to talk about it on the show. I want it behind a paywall, guys. Just to try to figure out who I am and know what these things are doing to me. Yeah. I don't know if it's a titter or shit. It's just life. I hope it works, honestly. Yeah. Next up, Aaron Steinberg. Today's guest has supported thousands of people through his coaching practice and live courses, successfully helping a diverse range of folks on the brink of divorce to those simply looking to strengthen their partnerships. His course, Baby Proofing Your Relationship, draws on principles learned in his Master's in Psychology Certificate in Complex Trauma Practice and Robust Education in Sex and Relationships from the Gottman Institute and the Couples Institute. This is the course every coupled parent needs because everyone deserves access to practices and principles that we need to thrive through parenthood. So let's welcome husband, father, and creator of Baby Proofing Your Relationship, Aaron Steinberg. Hi, Aaron. Hi, thank you for having me. Actually, me and my partner have been looking into getting a Gottman therapist. You just found one. I'm not actually a Gottman therapist. There's layers of Gottman-ness. I know, there's like one, two, and three. I'm one and two. You got to get to like four or something. Like the Scientologist, you got to get clear. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not clear yet. I haven't gone clear. When Carrie and I were originally discussing having you on as a guest, I was under the impression that this course would be all about sex and was really surprised to discover when I watched the videos that I was sent that that really wasn't the case. It's all about various different facets of relationships. So can you give us a brief overview of all the different parts that go into baby-proofing your relationship? Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm not surprised that you thought it was all about sex because obviously that's one of the biggest issues when we become parents, one of the things that takes a big hit. But the way I frame the course is I talk about all of the general things that happen when you become parents, all the dynamics that are just a struggle for us as individuals and all the things we're carrying, not having as much time and energy to do the things that you want to do and not knowing what you're doing. And then I talk about how that just sets a very difficult foundation for your relationship and maintaining any sort of connection with each other. I don't know how it is for you with your partner 
partners, but my wife and I do a lot of dividing and conquering. And so there's a lot of ships passing in the night sort of vibe between us. And so the connection just gets really threadbare if you don't pay attention to it. You can use these challenges as an opportunity to become better partners. I get that's a very corny thing to say, but I really believe in it. (laughs) I just think you can really use these challenges to get closer together and be better partners and better people. Or you just kind of accumulate trash under the rug over and over and over again. And then next thing you know, you wake up and you're like, we don't really like each other that much anymore. Maybe we've just fallen completely out of love. Then I get specific into communication stuff. It's hard to get through anything else if you can't have a productive conversation. Then there's the lack of sex and intimacy. There's a money issues one that I call conflicting money styles, parenting differences when you don't know how to sort through parenting choices. And then the last one, which is maybe saving the best for last is the unequal parental load pitfall. Something that also makes it tricky is the longer time you wait between having sex, even with someone who you've been with forever, there's that awkwardness again. Who's going to initiate feelings being hurt? The longer it goes, the weirder it gets with someone who you've been with forever too. It's so strange. Yeah, I have no idea how to make the moves on my husband in a nice way. I literally said to him the other night, do you want to put it in? I mean, I like that directness, Ashley. I'm into that. My wife and I, when we had our second kid, things got really gnarly between us. And then it starts to feel like all this pressure. Is this going to be good? What does good even mean anymore? You get all stressed out about it. I personally would just get like super in my head and then I get all anxious and I wouldn't last very long. And it was just like, oh, this is terrible. And then you're all disappointed and just kind of repeating this crap over and over again. In one of your videos, you say that 70% of people experience significant relationship dissatisfaction after having a child. That's according to the Gottman Institute. 70, a huge number considering that we live in a culture and society that pushes the importance of having children and every aspect of parenthood. We're just not prepared for all of this. And so aside from your course, how do you think, I mean, your course, obviously, but aside from your course, how do you think that couples can prepare for change maybe in relationship and parenting? I did a lot of research to make the course. One of the things that I discovered is when you're pregnant, you're really hopeful. Most folks are like, oh, we're really excited. We feel like this is going to enhance our relationship. It's going to bring us closer together. Exactly. And so there's this real disconnect between what people are thinking and what the reality of what's going to happen is. It is exciting. You're going to fall more in love with your partner. You're going to be in awe of them. But also other things are going to happen as simple as this sounds. Just like make sure that you're a team. You can fall out of team and feel like you are disagreeing on what you want for your kid, right? And just come back to, well, we both want the best for our kid and we're disagreeing about what the best for our kid means. And you can have that sort of, let's solve this problem together, or we both have some needs that aren't getting met and they seem like they're in conflict. How do we find some sort of creative intersection of those things? I just try to encourage people to come back to how are we in this together as opposed to how are you the person that's impeding me from (laughs) making my kid happy or getting my needs met and making my life worse. I treat sex with my partner as a weekly release that needs to happen. Sometimes it's more sensual and it's connection and it's love. And other times it's just we need this release before we head into the rest of this week. What would be your tip for couples that are in it, not just baby in it, down the road in it, and are really trying to get back into a sexual place with their partner? 
I think the regularity is really important of just having like a sacred time on the books that's just like, we are going to make sure that we connect physically, even if it's just massages or something like that. We can't go too long without touching each other's bodies or kissing or whatever. In the beginning, it's really tough. But I think as you go on weekly is sort of for sure. So one of the answers is like, have this conversation. What is your ideal frequency for intimate connection right now? And one person might say three weeks and one person might say two days. And you're like, okay, well, let's split the difference and do 10 days. Thank God my husband doesn't say two days because I would be like, all right, time to find a new wife, buddy. This thing gets really exacerbated in parenthood too, is this differences in libido thing. So make the time sacred. And one like super not amazing, mind-blowing thing I'm going to say is like, just fucking talk about it. We do not talk about sex. You can feel that sort of embarrassment of like, here's what I was thinking after the last time we had sex. Here's what I'm worried about now. Like actually talk about it, debrief it, whatever. The staple in sex therapy is is that the way that you reintroduce it when you're having a challenge is to do a practice where basically instead of trying to like go with the flow and easily find each other again and hitting all those roadblocks and maybe it turns into a fight or you don't know what you like anymore, that you each trade off making a request of something that you want and you get 10 or 15 minutes where the only thing that's happening is you are getting that request. I advise people when it's very much at the beginning and everything's blown up that you can start out with sex acts are off the table, get rid of the pressure. That's a good idea. And then introduce that later. Because when you're in your stage, it's like, we have a five-year-old, I want him to put it in, but how can we kind of build where we're going from here? And then you trade off. And this can feel kind of stilted and awkward and people kind of resist it, but I think it's so great. It's also got to start somewhere. Yeah, it's got to start somewhere. And it's also very cool. You get to reflect on what do I want right now? now. The limelight's on me. How does it feel to have the limelight on me? Can I stretch myself a little bit? What would I like to receive? You know, I have to receive. I have to work on not just giving and the output that happens in parenthood, but getting something. And then you trade off. After that, my wife and I have often found doing that is a big turn on and we'll end up having some sort of penetrative sex afterwards, but sometimes not. And sometimes it's a big fucking mess and you end up in a fight, but that's good too, actually, because the mistake couples make in parenthood is they just disengage with each other. Even fighting is intimate. Yeah, exactly. Because you give a shit. Number one principle, stay engaged. Even if it sucks, it's better to keep being engaged than it is to have nothing going on. So many of our listeners aren't new parents. They've been at this for like a hot sack. For those parents that are way down this parenting wormhole and find themselves so deep in being unhappy in their relationships, what would you recommend a good first step? It depends on whether or not there's any sort of willingness or hope that it's going to get better. I've worked with a lot of people who are on the brink of divorce who are literally walking into my office going, we've come to you to decide of whether or not we can save this. No pressure. No, exactly. It's intense. So there's like this fork. Sometimes both people are like, we realize we're in a terrible place. We're so motivated to make it better. But also there's the other side of it, which is like one person's really motivated and the other one feels super hopeless and actually isn't willing to do anything. And they're just like hanging on. Basically, I think at that point you need to zoom out going backwards until you find a point of agreement. It's like, I know we don't agree about what the problems in our relationship are, but do we agree that our relationship has problems? Do we agree that we want to work on those problems, that we want to try and find our way through them? And you might find a point of divergence there. These conversations, while they seem very simple, can get really complicated because for some people, it's like, I am working on it. And it's like, well, the way you're working on it isn't shit compared to the thing that I'm expecting you to be doing. You got to get real specific, define your terms and get back to a place of we are willing to re 
reset. We're willing to see we're not in a good place. And ideally, we'll give this everything we have. What I say to people is, I don't need you to end up staying together, but I do need you to participate for the sake of whether you do end up not being together, that that feels actually like you're both like, yep, we've done everything we can. We feel like there's just no other option. And they require the same thing. They require full buy-in, full participation. We're in this for connection or clarity. That's one side. The other side, if you're both bought in, is this is maybe a controversial thing to say. I think relationships don't have that many problems. I think people are much more simple than we think we are. And I think basically when you get into this place where you're ready to call it, it's because you've gone to my partner is 2x. They'll never meet my needs because they're 2x. I say resentment is like a negative ongoing character assessment. And then my partner goes to me, they're 2y. So they're never going to meet my needs because they're 2y. And then you create this reinforcing feedback loop. And then you look for the thing. Exactly. You just keep getting worse and worse and worse, more and more and more resentful. And I think relationships have at most three core issues, most of the time one or two, where it's like, we seem like we're on opposite sides of the spectrum. A very common one is you're too needy versus you're too distant. The you're too distant person needs space and freedom and autonomy to want to connect. And then the other one is I need to feel safe with the closeness. Not everyone falls into that category. What I say to people is you need to go both directions. You need to start to look at how can I go more to my partner's side if I'm the one who needs more distance? How can I stretch myself to be more connected? If I'm the one who needs connection, how can I stretch myself to be more independent and feel safe on my own? And also realize that you are overly sensitive to the thing you're judging. They probably are too distant. And also you can't handle separation. So you're hitting it from both sides, trying to create a more fulfilling dynamic for both of you by each kind of working on your thing, but also not letting go of the thing that you need more of. Most fights are just some version of you don't love me enough or the way I want to be loved versus nothing I do is ever enough for you or you don't appreciate my efforts. Being that this is our Valentine's Day episode. What is one thing you think every couple should do to celebrate Valentine's Day? So here's something I was thinking about was suggesting that people do that practice we talked about before. Whatever version of it feels accessible to you. They do one thing for me, do one thing for you practice. Yeah, it's tricky because especially the Gottmans, but just couples therapy in general are very anti-transaction, which makes sense because you don't want to get into this quid pro quo, I'll only do this if you do this. But I think that's different than just like separate separating your needs and collaborating. So if you can do that collaboratively and as a gift to each other, I think that's really cool. I was thinking trade roles, give your partner the gift of doing their role for a day or some part of their role and they do some part of your role. I kind of like that. Yeah. I was also thinking Valentine's Day falls, I think on a Tuesday this year. So maybe you celebrate on the weekend or something, but I was also like, give each other a half dream day. My wife, her dream day is get these kids out of the house. I want to take a bath. I want to read. I want to exercise and I want to hear or see anyone for like three hours. And I'm deeply obsessed with golf, although I know people have a mixed relationship with golf, but that's just my happy place. So for me, it's like if we could get a babysitter and play golf together, that would be awesome for me. To me, if we think about the core of Valentine's Day as celebrating our partnership, then I go to what are the things that would make us feel more connected in our partnership? You get empathy from doing each other's roles. You get more connected from doing some version of the sensuality practice. You feel 
gratitude or appreciation if your partner gives you a dream scenario. Those are fun. We ask all of our guests this. What is one thing that you think that parents should outsource if they have the means to do so? Since I'm a relationships guy, I have to say evening babysitting. Have someone who you're comfortable with and is comfortable putting your kids to bed. They can do the whole nighttime routine and you leave the house. Get out of the house. Get out of this environment in which you're not just in a relationship anymore in which you have to co-pay bills and clean shit and all this stuff and go have fun and remember what it's like to be the two of you. If you have a lot of resources, either drop the kids off with (laughs) your parents or whatever, get a multiple day babysitter and overnight somewhere. That's so, so, so good for your relationship. Cool. Thank you. Plug yourself. Tell everyone where they can find all the good stuff. I think what I made is amazing. When I was having my first kid with my wife, like you, I read all the books and it's just like, I'm a couples counselor. What is this going to do to our relationship? My parents got divorced. They seemed really unhappy. It's a big deal. Our culture doesn't talk about it. This is going to be our 155th episode. It's rare I am actually this into a course. I really do think a lot of people should consider looking into what you do and taking your courses. Thank you so much for saying that. And I want to offer your listeners a 25% off coupon. The website is babyproofingyourrelationship.com and the code MOMTOURAGE will get you 25% off. That's a great Valentine's Day present to your partner. It is. All of this will also be in our show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I think what you're doing is great. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. So the other day, I was giving Sebastian a bath. I don't remember what I said, but he said, I'm the smartest kid in the world. And I kind of looked at him like, oh, no. And he said, no, mama, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm the smartest kid in the world. He has additionally been calling the other kids in his class dumb and saying like, oh, well, the other kids in the class aren't as smart as me. The other day, he was reading the first page of a book where it says like copyright published. He was reading most of those words. When has this kid seen published? He's like, I have a book deal. That's how I know what Publish says. Basically. I said, you are very smart and you are very advanced, but you can't call people stupid or dumb because they're not at the level you're at. It really made me a little bit concerned that maybe he's a little overly confident. He is a white passing boy in Union City, New Jersey, where it's predominantly Hispanic kids. A lot of kids don't even speak English. He's going to grow up to be a man. I don't want him to walk around with lack of a better term, average white man complex, even though he's not an average white man. So I started to do a little research and I came across an article from Family Friendly HQ on how to handle overconfident kids. First, Teach them to respect others. A child that's overly confident will continuously rate themselves to others and be somewhat self-centered at times. Ding, ding, ding. They may choose to laugh at others' lack of abilities, and you need to show them that it's important to be respectful of others. Remind them that other people have their talents and their passions, and it doesn't make them any less of a person because they may not be as good at things. Secondly, encourage them to be modest about their capabilities. See, this one I'm kind of on the fence about. Sure, your kid may be the best ball player, the fastest runner, but when you congratulate them, they should be a little modest and thank people for their kind words. I think we should absolutely sit in our power, but also that fine line of where sitting in acknowledgement of your skills becomes overconfident. And because I was kind of raised in this, you get a trophy for participating time in the world. Yeah, I was not. My mother wasn't like that, but that was school. I'm trying to really navigate this and I'm having a little bit of a hard time. What do you think about the being modest of their capabilities? I think that 
the most powerful people in the world don't talk about their power. That is so funny coming from you because you talk about your power all the time. I don't mean that in a bitchy way at all. No, no. And I realize that that's ironic. I shout myself out for the things that I'm good at. I do it on the show, but when I walk into an audition, I'm not like, hey guys, I'm an incredibly seasoned actor. True. Part of that for me is to try to encourage people to do it themselves. I'm like a cheerleader hype girl. I want people to feel comfortable to shout themselves out with what they're good at. It's like a shine theory. I want people to be like, no, I'm good at this. Let me do it. I think people that need to prove their power or keep talking about it have little dick syndrome. And so something with Luna, I always say is, yes, mommy tells you you're good at all these things for sure. However, you can't make people feel bad. Different people have different things that they're good at. And you might be good at one thing and someone else might be good at something else. But if you say or brag about how good you are and it makes someone else feel bad, then that's not okay. Yeah. Can't you both be good at things? For me, me, the most important lesson from this, which is kind of the opposite, is to teach kids how to fail well. That's more important to me. If they have good self-confidence and are a little bit braggardly, I'm okay with that as long as when they fail, they fail well. I'll read you the rest of these points. Remind them to never underestimate others because overconfidence can rear its head and it can be easy for your child to rebuff any other competition or think themselves too good for the opposition. Next up, though they may be talented, they should be a role model for others. So you want to remind your child that their talents are incredible as you don't want to demean them, but that this means that they should be a role model for future little ones who look up to your child. That one's a little weird to me. It's kind of like, should we shame Miley Cyrus for going through her life, even though she's a role model for other little kids? No, she's a kid. She's just doing her thing. That's not her responsibility. Tell them the truth that self-praise is no praise. So your child may do great at things, but going on about it themselves is of no benefit. Let someone else praise you. You don't want to walk into a room and be like, greatest motherfucker showed up. Yeah. If your child is overconfident, challenge them with different tasks to remind them of practicing and how to build on their abilities. I love doing that to Sebastian. I don't always let Luna or anyone else win. I don't want kids to get used to having to win. I have a cousin whose kid is obnoxious about that. If I see him getting a little too big in his britches, I'll challenge him with something I know he can't do just to knock him down a few pegs. I know that sounds fucked up, but really it is for me a way of being like, don't get overly confident. Right. Chill out. And lastly, communicate openly with your child and keep them grounded. So if your child is being cocky, tell them, which, you know, I have no problem doing. And then I found some tips for those children who may need a little bit of confidence. Yeah. Parents who raise confident, smart, and empathetic children do these five things. And this article is from CNBC. One, they focus on their child's behavior. So they complement specific behaviors as opposed to complimenting your child as a whole person. I love that. Great job as opposed to, you're the best kid. This one I found interesting. They use guilt, not shame. This professor of psychology, Adam Grant, says that using a little guilt to correct your kids is better than using shame. So the example is when your children feel guilt, they tend to experience remorse and regret and empathize with the person that they have harmed and aim to make it right. So if your child does something wrong, shaming communicates to the child that he or she is not a good person, while guilt asks the child to reflect on how a specific behavior missed the mark and is a motivator for more positive behavior in the future. Growing up as an Irish-Italian, guilt is a triggering 
triggering word for me, but that is interesting. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more. Three, they build self-worth. So they recommend that before toddlers evolve into preschoolers, we should ask them to be helpers. Involving your children in daily tasks provides them with self-compassion and makes them feel like they have something meaningful to offer. So I noticed when I involve Sebastian in a chore, he's a lot more empathetic. He's kinder. He feels good about himself. Number four, they discuss emotions. And number five, they avoid bribery. So sometimes parents give up on correcting bad behavior and resort to bribery, which I do. This is a polarizing article. Several researchers say that parents should avoid this technique. Bribing is a strategy that only works in the short term. Good behavior isn't something that should be bought with toys and food. Parents should be tapping into children's natural reservoir of wanting to do good. Good luck. I have not figured out how to do that. I know you haven't either. No. Wow, Ashley, I don't know how I feel about all that right now. We'll mull this one over. Sometimes we don't have a solution for people. We just present them with peer-reviewed journals. Definitely not us. Let us know what you guys think. Email us at hello at momtouragepodcast.com. We'd really like to hear where you stand on having an overly confident child, how to handle an overly confident child, or these tips from psychologists on how to get your child to be a little more confident. Hashtag swag bag. Aquaphor. Just that's it. Aquaphor. I know. It's amazing. I use it for everything. I curl my lashes and use it on my eyelashes with a spoolie. I use it as hand cream. I use it as foot cream. I use it as mouth cream. Sometimes I use it as eye cream. When Sebastian was wearing diapers, we used it as diaper rash cream. I use it for my cuticles. I use it on Luna's cuts when they're scabbing. They have a spray one now I just got because sometimes it hurts when I'm rubbing it on Luna's. I'm going to try the spray and let you know. Okay, so on that same note, just for men, beard dye. So I love my girl, Lara. She's been on the show before. She lives in Brooklyn. She gets all booked up. I try to go to her whenever I can, but honestly, my brows are very light, and so in between, I need to dye them a little bit. I use the Just For Men beard dye in a brown color. I leave it on for hardly any time, not what they say, and I use copious amounts of Aquaphor or Vaseline around it so that I don't get the brown edge. It's a game changer. And that's not even just a tip for the light-haired ladies like Carrie. For me, where I have sparse spots in my eyebrows, this pick those little hairs up and makes them bolder so I don't have to fill in my eyebrows as much. I think it's for everybody, honestly. Yeah. It also makes the ones that you need to tweeze easier to see. Yes. I leave it on for the full five minutes like they suggest. Because you have dark hair. And light-haired ladies, I would not do the full. Well, whatever it is that you did for Valentine's Day, I hope you felt loved and cherished because you deserve that. We love you. You're our Valentine. Yep. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe or follow. We are out here on our own and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at hello at momtouragepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, all at Momtourage Podcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you and go slay. Momtourage is a Cafe Mom podcast. Written and produced by Ashley Heron-Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.